I don't usually like talking about my day. Um, I don't really know how to do it. I always feel like it's inadequate. As growing up as, a, as an adolescent, I, was, I suffered from fine syndrome, which is anybody ask you anything, you say the answer is fine. Um, <laughs> like whether it's a great day or a bad day or anything. How was school today? Fine. Do you learn anything? Fine. <laughs> it's like, seen anyone? Fine. Um, it's just you go on and on. But um, part of that was I didn't know what to say. And I felt like it was a test. I felt like there was this challenge, like, okay, you need to say the thing um, I expect of you, and I didn't know what people expected of me, so I didn't, I didn't like answering it. It's been um, a challenge uh, being married for that way because I'm with this wonderful person who wants to talk to me over and over again, um, and I have to think, of, like, wait, like it, it's, it still takes me a long time to realize that it's not a quiz every time someone asks me about my day and that I'm not being tested and I'm not doing this um, and getting into that, that using these words is, is an aspect of freedom. And that when someone asks me about my day, it's not trying to find a minute-by-minute a, a minute account of what happened. This past week was uh, June 16th, which is Bloomsday, was the day that James Joyce's Ulysses uh, takes place. It's like a 750-page novel that takes place on one day. Um, and so sometimes I used to think, well, well, do you want the Ulysses version of the day? Um, do you want this kind of like general uh, uh, squad of emotion um, of going on or, or what is it? But, but the words that we use with others, often we, we still use with God. And we offer ourselves to others with words. We offer ourselves to God with words. And when we do not offer words, when I, when I refrain from talking about my day or answering a question or when I try to move on, it is the fact that I am not offering myself to the other person. And when I don't take the time to offer my words to God, um, I'm not offering myself to God. My friends, we are continuing our series on the Song of Songs titled God's Love Song. This, this strange, and this passage today is a, a very strange one, this strange and curious book in the, in the center of the Bible, often overlooked, it's so easy to skim past it if you're not looking for it. You're trying to go, it's like Proverbs, then you get to Isaiah, and you just like, boom. It's, you go, go right through it. But it's so, it can be so central to our faith. As an early church father described it as the song sung by the Holy Spirit at the marriage of Christ and the church. Today, we look at how the words that are used. How God speaks to us through the words of scripture. It is not direct, but it is persistent. That's what this gospel passage gets to. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. We're going to be guided into truth, not told the truth, which is a very important distinction. The rest of the New Testament is not these lists of things we must do. It's not a checklist of, of being a Christian. It is, it is guided. There's letters. There's stories. There's an apocalyptic narrative, which is a genre that is very different from most genres we know today, and yet it is through these directions. God speaks to us. God also speaks through allegory. The first Sunday in this series a few weeks ago, I spent a lot of time on allegory. And just a refresher, an allegory is a, is a song or a poem or a, a picture that has a hidden meaning that can be revealed. 
And I like to think about allegory through, through the words of St. Paul in 2 Corinthians, that he says, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, and the things that are unseen are eternal. And so I want to show, as we're getting this allegory, um, as you refresh her about this, this um, passage for today, I want to show an image that someone has made of the Song of Songs. Tori? So this is a literal version of this passage. You can see the, the neck like a Tower of David, um, the hair like goats, the, the head like a pomegranate. Um, there's a lot of pictures of the nose, the tongue dripping from, with honey and myrrh, uh, dripping out. And so it's not a, the eyes like doves, if you look closely enough, there's dove eyes there. It's not really the most attractive thing uh, <laughs> you've ever, if you, if you drew a painting for someone and said, this is what I think of you, I don't know how they would respond <laughs> to receiving it. And I think this is a great, helpful that what is going on here was intentionally allegory. There is a meaning, there is a deeper meaning that we are to find in these words. It is a poem. And all poetry is an offering of sorts. It is an offering and a gift. It's an aspect of vulnerability because it may not be received. You can offer someone a poem and they, will not, they may not get it. And they, and they shut it down. Compliments and endearments are offering. You can compliment someone and they may not take it. I'm horrible at taking compliments. I'm really, really... Lena's nodding heavily at that. I'm really, really bad at that because it is an offering to someone it is an aspect of vulnerability as well stories and questions are offerings to others to take the time to ask a question to another to take the time to tell a story to take the time to hear a story is an offering the series on the song of songs has mostly been accomplished in the in the genre of prose most sermons are prose most sermons are either written out or or spoken extemporaneously but they're spoken in this kind of in this discourse of prose of i'm telling you what i mean over and over again but this is not how god always talks to us i think in this john passage of jesus is being very clear that god is not going to be talking to you in prose anymore friends the spirit is coming and the Spirit is going to guide you, not tell you. Most of the times when I am silent, when I don't receive a compliment, when I don't know what to say, it is because I don't know what I should say. I worry that there are things that should be said, and if I say the wrong thing, there will be consequences. And this goes over to prayer, too. So often when I don't pray, it is because I don't know what I should be praying. And I feel like I have to have this posture with God, this properness. Or the same thing with sharing my faith. I don't know what to say, or I worry that people will take it the wrong way. So often a fear of speaking keeps us from understanding what we actually believe. This is why I encourage journaling for anybody who's going through a hard time in life. It doesn't solve a problem. Journaling doesn't resolve anything, but it reminds you what you actually thought and what you actually felt. Even if it's like as simple as Tuesday, not bad. It's hard to remember not bad days when you're going through a tough time. It really is. And so just having that down is like, Tuesday was not bad. That's good to remember. 
Because when, you're, when you are struggling, when you're struggling through grief, when you're struggling through traumas or other things like that, those over, overwhelm all of our emotions. And just the fact of a simple day can be life-giving. Because we don't really know what we feel so often. Prayer and sacred story are both forms of grasping at what we barely understand. My, my sacred story is how God has moved in my life. It is something worth sharing with others, yet it is only known retrospectively. I can only know it by looking back at where God has been moving in my life, where the Holy Spirit has been guiding me. And to share my story is to open myself up. It is an act of vulnerability. It is an act of faith. There is an intimacy of these words. Jesus, the Word made flesh, who died in his flesh to save us, yet as an early church father note, for the sake of our salvation, he is generous with us. He is not, Jesus is not satisfied with redeeming us by blood. He also prays for us. Consider the love exemplified in that prayer. The, prayer, the Lord's Prayer. The love exemplified there, which speaks of mundane things. Jesus asks us to tell God, give us bread. So often we think prayer is only life or death things. We think it's the important stuff we need. And when Jesus teaches his disciples, he asks them to pray for bread. Pray for the mundane. The Venerable Bede on this passage from the Song of Songs talks about the, the goat hair as the, the mundane things the th- saints talked about and thought about. That we need to remember that the saints of the church, the saints in our life, also thought about what they were going to have for lunch that day. Also thought about how are they going to fix that fence that looks like it's about to fall over. Um, and that we are not being unsaintly when we're thinking about those things. Yet even in those words, those mundane words, we can find love. When I share with someone about my day, there is an allegory of sorts going on. The descriptions of mundane things point to a different reality of care and thoughtfulness. I care about you enough to share things of my life. Even if I'm not sure about them or I don't know really what they mean. Here is my day. I offer it to you. I don't know what it means, but here is my day. What is yours? I said before that that sermons are mostly prose, but the Song of Songs is a poem, and I want to use poetry spoken and sung to help further illuminate, illuminate, not eliminate, illuminate this passage. (laughs) Illuminate the ways our words speak to God and share God. Because we can't talk about it directly. Directly, it has no connection to our life. T.S. Eliot, uh, the, the famous poet who we, uh, every Ash Wednesday, since I've been at Berkeley, we've done his poem, Ash Wednesday. I've been so excited about that. But his last, his last set of poetry was called The Four Quartets. It was, he wrote, uh, the first one was written in near the, right before World War II, and the rest of them were right in the first few years of World War II. And um, the second poem, East Coker, is, is about a, or it's set in a village in Somerset, England, which if you imagine England, like there's my picture of England, um, it's like right there, right beside Wales. Um, and so this is the place where uh, he, he, his body ended up, his ashes were left at a church in, in East Coker. After he wrote the first poem, Burt Norton, Wesley, or uh, not Wesley, Eliot, well, it could be Wesley. Um, Eliot didn't think he'd write poem, a poem again. He thought he was done with poetry. He thought he'd finished it. And he had nothing more to say. And then the blitz happened. 
Um, and then the war. He was a veteran of the First World War. He was a veteran of the trenches. And the trauma of that came back to him. And how to, how to describe it. How to describe about time and, and reality. And life and death. And so he moved the setting of the first poem to, to East Coker, to this place, uh, where his ashes would remain. East Coker was also where Andrew Elliott, his ancestor, the last one who lived in England, left in 1669. And so this is where, it's the end of this poem that I want to read for you. So here I am in the middle way, having had 20 years, 20 years largely wasted, the years between the two wars. Trying to learn to use words in every attempt is a wholly new start and a different kind of failure. Because one has only learnt to get the better of words. For the thing one no longer has to say or the way in which one is no longer disposed to say it. And so each venture is a new beginning, a raid on the inarticulate with shabby equipment always deteriorating in the general mess of imprecision of feeling. Undisciplined squads of emotion. And what there is to conquer by strength and submission has already been discovered. Once or twice or several times by men whom one cannot hope to emulate. But there is no competition. There is only the fight to recover what has been lost and found and lost again and again and now under conditions that seem unpropitious. And perhaps neither gain nor loss. For us, there is only the trying. The rest is not our business. Home is where one starts from. As we grow older, the world becomes stranger. The pattern more complicated of dead and living, not the intense moment isolated with no before and after, but a lifetime burning in every moment. And not the lifetime of one man only, but of old stones that cannot be deciphered. There's a time for the evening under starlight, a time for the evening under lamplight, the evening with the photograph album. Love is most nearly itself when here and now cease to matter. In this lovely um, passage, Eliot points to the simplicity of love. It ends in this, this great uh, bravura. The love is most nearly itself when here and now cease to matter. So often it's this thing about time, but, but the simplicity when not here and now cease to matter. And Jean Guyon, who's one of the commentators who I've uh, uh, um, quoted a lot in this series, she finds in this passage from the Song of Songs in chapter 4 this simplicity. She writes, your eyes by your faithfulness, righteousness, and simplicity are like those of doves. This righteousness is on the outside as well as the inside. The virtue of simplicity, so recommended in the scriptures, makes us act with regard to God, incessantly without hesitation, directly without reflection, and sovereignly without a multiplicity of plans, of motives, or of practices, but uniquely in order to please God. Also, when simplicity is perfect, perfect, one acts on it by habit, without even thinking about it. Jesus says earlier, Mayor, yes be yes, and your no be no. But simplicity of language is hard. It is hard to say what you mean, because then you have to know what you already mean. What do you want? What do you actually want in life? What do you want from other people? 
in your life? What do you want from God? What do you desire? Prayer is about desire. One of my teachers called prayer throwing up to God. (laughs) We can't put a performance on for God. We have to offer ourselves. We don't need to try and look lovable for God. You are loved. You are beloved of God. Ask God what you really want, and it may seem something trite. It may be, I don't want to hit a red light on my way home today. It throws off my rhythm. And you may think, God doesn't care about that. There's so many things going on in the world. But this is a a false conception of God. God is not someone whose time can be consumed by things. God is in all those places, but God is also here with each of us, and God desires the transformation of our hearts. And we cannot transform our hearts unless we know what our hearts desire. And we don't know what our hearts desire unless we offer them up to God. And it is in that offering that we can see and understand what we desire. What do I care about? Do I really care about this? If I am not willing to pray for it, how do I know? And then as we pray for these mundane things, for these trite things, we are, we are transformed by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As you pray for your sports team to have a great season this year and think that, like, if you say, and don't get hurt, it makes it an okay prayer. Um, it's still that desire. The desire is what is, needs to be changed continuously. What Jean Guyon points to in this passage from the Song of Songs is that the simplicity of desiring to please God is a habit we can live into to the point of not even thinking about it. We can act out of love without trying. We can act out of humility and grace without trying. The struggles of loving our neighbor become less challenging the more we do it, the more we hold on to the simplicity of love. Simplicity in prayer, of asking God what we desire, as well as simplicity in conversation. This is what John Wesley calls holy conversation, talking about what you mean, talking about what matters in this world, telling people in your life that they matter and how they matter to you. I want to end with a a song. Again, love is not mostly found in prose. The Shakers were an offshoot of of the Quakers in, in 18th century England. Now they're mostly famous for their furniture, and, and for a song that, uh, that Aaron Copeland adapted in his Appalachian Spring as a variations on a shaker tune. Uh, Tyler played a version of it earlier in the prelude. Um, it's also the, often and a version of it is the hymn uh, Lord of the Dance, but this is the original, the original version. It's called Simple Gifts. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, t'will be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend we will not be ashamed to turn, turn, will be our delight till by turning, turning we come round right.
Intimacy with God is offering yourself simply and fully. I love this, this course, the simplicity of turning, of turning to God. In a few moments, we're going to baptize Josh. He's going to profess the Christian faith for the first time in his life. And that is a beginning step. It is a turning. It is a miraculous turning of the Holy Spirit. And each of us have an opportunity to continue that turn, to turn towards God, to turn towards love, to turn towards the simplicity of love. So often the complexities of this world are just way excuses for us to get out of loving our neighbor, excuses for us to get out of loving our enemy. Instead, when we focus on the simplicity of loving God, that we are loved and we are beloved, we don't need to put on a posture for others. We don't need to put on a posture for ourselves. We don't need to lie to ourselves. Intimacy with God is offering yourself fully and simply, as is intimacy with your child, with your spouse, with your friends. The words are not the point. The words of the day are not the point. The eyes of the doves and the neck like a tower is not the point. The offering of self is the point. God offers God's self to you. The word made flesh. But also with words, you are loved, you are beloved of God, you are beautiful and can respond with words. To God in prayer and to others in this life by sharing your life, by raiding the inarticulate, by the simplicity of seeking love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.